I want you to come on in and grab a seat. If you want to, on the way in, you can grab a Bible, pull out your notebook. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Kevin will get you one. All right, Bibles are coming out. We're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, we're going to explain just a few verses here. Uh, I'm looking forward to potluck. I, you know, there's something that happens to a lot of people, and I know it happens to me, and it is, it is this understanding that, that oh, we understand people are good and the church is good and fellowship is good, but we end up just. Spending time with ourselves because it's relaxing and, and I've got things to do. And, and then yet when we do make the choice toward the church and toward being with people, it is this, we experience God in it. It is this sweet thing. And so I always leave uh, potluck encouraged, not necessarily because, um, you know, my third cookie was so good. But because, because I get to be with God's people and, and get to know people better and be encouraged by people and there's something that the Holy Spirit is in. And so it is sweet to, to be here. We'll take communion, be potluck. Hopefully there'll be encouraging words. And so before we start here, um, if you... I'm going to pray, but we're going to be turning to uh, John 9. Well, Father, uh, we are prone to wander. And we are constrained. God, to, to grace. We are, we will be in debt to you. God, every day of our lives, Lord, in our sin. Lord, and the thieves in this room have confessed. And we do know that You are holy. Lord, we, we come before You uh, as people unworthy, Lord, but transformed by grace and love and forgiveness and life. Father, I pray that you would teach us and pray that you would come be with us in your spirit. And Lord, we thank your word. We thank you that we get to be in it. Thank you that we can love it this morning, and I pray that you give us the heart to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. 
Let's see. I'm in John. We will be there later. Matthew chapter 9. We've been walking through Matthew 9 and Matthew uh, 8 before that. And these chapters are a catalog of the authority of Jesus and the things he is his uh, authority over. We're, we will talk about how he's authority over death and talk about how he has authority over sickness and authority over demons. But we, we come to an interesting verse here in verse 14 through 17. So let's read that. <clears throat> then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment. And a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst. And the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. So both are preserved. Okay, we'll walk through this just, just in sort of three sections here. We'll start with verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, and so... Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So we had the scribes questioning Jesus. Then we had the Pharisees questioning Jesus. Now we have John's disciples questioning Jesus. So Jesus is going to be who Jesus is going to be. He's not going to live by anybody else's terms. He's not going to necessarily please Everyone, the idea is you recognize who Jesus is, you bow the knee, because he's not going to change into who we want him to be. And, and John's disciples have something that they think is good and right, and who it's something they want Jesus to be, and he is not that. Come and they're, they're questioning him. If that keeps cutting out, I can grab a handheld, but I don't know if there's anything we can do about it. Um, so, so who's John's disciples? Well, we're talking about John the Baptist. So we have John the Baptist, and he is like, uh, he's, he's a very influential person. He had disciples before Jesus started his ministry, and then he has disciples concurrently along with Jesus' ministry and his disciples. And then even in the book of Acts, there are places where we come across John's disciples uh, even in the book of Acts. And so, so John is this very influential in the sort of spiritual realms of, of the day. All right.
he was what we would call now an ascetic. Basically, an ascetic is I am, I give up comforts here on the physical level, and that that helps me seek spiritual things. And so John, a big part of his spiritual life and what he taught his disciples was the like ascetic lifestyle he lived. And that was part of spirituality for him. So that's including fasting. Denying yourself is godly. That's, the, that's what John's disciples are believing here. So John the Baptist pointed to Jesus from his disciples and said, Jesus is the guy. Jesus is the guy. Jesus is a good guy. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the Lamb of God. So then they look at Jesus, but Jesus isn't an ascetic. Now, if you remember the context, last week we talked about how Jesus called Matthew. He called sinners tax collectors, which is terrible enough on its own. And then he goes into Matthew's house and eats with tax collectors and sinners. So he's like eating and feasting and partying with tax collectors and sinners. And so the, the Pharisees don't like that. And now John's disciples don't like that. And they're going, hey, wait. I'm not so sure. And so they get this impression. Hey, Jesus' disciples don't fast at all. This Jesus and his disciples, they don't take their religious commitment seriously. We fast a lot. We are holier than you and your disciples. We are holier than the Messiah that John the Baptist pointed us to. Not interesting. Now, we've got to understand a few things about fasting. First of all, can anyone name me an Old Testament command that says you should fast? Okay. There's lots of examples of people who do fast. There's no command in the law of God. Esther told the people to fast. That is true. And that is a great example of fasting in which there are many. There's only one verse you could say is a command. And that is from our beautiful, lovable book of Leviticus that we walked through. And it's Leviticus 16.23. And we, we talked about it when we hit Yom Kippur. So one day a year, you are supposed to, on the seventh month, on the tenth day, you shall afflict your souls. Or if you're, a different version would say, you should humble yourselves. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. But over time, it became 
It came to mean you shall fast. So the Jews fasted, or were, in one sense, were, felt like there was a command to fast one day a year. There are no other commands. Now, by the time of Jesus, if you were spiritual, if you wanted to seek God, if you were serious in your commitment for God, you fasted twice a week. You fasted on Mondays and you fasted on Thursdays. And, and Jesus didn't like that because Mondays and Thursdays were the, the busiest times in the market and the Pharisees would go just and they'd paint themselves up and raise their hands and show everybody that they were fasting. Jesus didn't like that. Now we're assuming John's disciples don't fast like that. Okay. I don't know your relationship with fasting. That was the relationship in that day. But your relationship with fasting. Fasting is a good thing. One thing it's not is a power play over God to, uh, to kind of force him to get what you want or to answer your prayer. But there are benefits for us. I'll walk through a number of them. You focus. Focus on the spiritual things. You get uh, the act of saying no to your appetites. That actually helps you say no, maybe, to your idols. It's an expression of your longing for God. Your desire. You get to give God worth. It's, if you look at the verses or the examples where there's fasting, sometimes it's an expression of repentance. Sometimes people fast when they want guidance, like uh, Jesus, uh, no, Jesus, Paul fasted before he appointed elders. Jesus fast, um, grief is, is, uh, is a time for fasting. It can make you appreciate what God has given you because you have something taken away. Like, I don't know if you've ever fasted, but after you fast, like the bologna sandwich is the most amazing bologna fan sandwich you have ever eaten. And it makes you thankful in a way that you weren't thankful before. It can give you a concern for people that don't have things. You can give you a concern for the poor. In Isaiah 58, God said, this is the fasting I want, and that is when you have concern for the poor. And I think fasting helps with that. And so, so fasting is this thing that was voluntary in the Old Testament, basically. But there had come to be some, happened more in the time of Jesus. And then it's encouraged in the New Testament. So what's Jesus' answer going to be to the disciple or John's disciples here? Well, let's read uh, verse 15. He touched, whoops, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. 
Interesting. Jesus' answer depends completely and solely on who he is. And who can say that? What kind of person says, Hey everybody, I'm here. Be happy. Walk straight through the doors. Be happy. I'm here. I am the bridegroom. Now when Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom, he's saying something. So I need you to follow me a couple places. If you want to, we are going to go to Isaiah 54. And I did not put down this page number because Isaiah is such a big book. You can find it usually. Isaiah 54 verse 5. Isaiah says this, for your maker, your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. He's your husband. And then you can go to Hosea 2. That's on page 704. Hey, Kigian, could you turn me down just a bit. All right. Verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be rem- remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So Jesus shows up, and he says, hey, I'm the bridegroom. And it is him making a Messiah reference. It's his claim to be the Messiah, and nobody really picks up up on it. He's saying, this is the dawning of the Messianic age. I am walking in what Hosea is talking about here. So that's the first reason he uses this analogy of, of bridegroom. It's not really an analogy. It's a, re, it's a reality. That he's the bridegroom and he uses that language. The second reason he uses that language is that's the language John the Baptist used. So you can turn to John 3. So John the Baptist, they say, who are you, John the Baptist? Are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? He says, no, I'm the one, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness. So he quotes the voice. And so then they go, oh, he's not the guy. Then the next day he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He points at Jesus. And then right after that, in John 3, this happens. 
Oh, we'll just read it. Uh, Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he, Jesus, Jesus is is baptizing and all are going to Jesus. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So he's talking to John's disciples. And But John has taught them that Jesus is the bridegroom. And that John is like the best man. He's the bridegroom's friend. So Jesus takes this and he expands it. So, so not only is John the Baptist the bridegroom, but the, so in a Jewish wedding there there wasn't a honeymoon. There was there was a party. So if you were invited to the wedding, you would go and you'd take a week off work. And when after you got married, you you people would come to your house or whatever house was appropriate and you would take seven days and just feast and party and you wouldn't work. It was like the best seven days of your life. And then when it was over, you'd go, you'd go work. And so Jesus is taking this analogy of the bridegroom and taking this analogy of the wedding that in one sense John said, started, picked up on in the Old Testament, And says, hey guys, it's the time of the feast. And it's the time of the wedding. It's a time of joy. I am here. The Messiah is here. We are here. We are in the joy of the kingdom and the joy of the Father. And it is not appropriate during the seven day week of partying to fast. And yes, the disciples will fast. And yes, they will fast later. And they do. And in Acts 13, they fast and worship God. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work I have for them. And in Acts 14, Paul is fasting for elders in Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. But the point is, Jesus has come to bring spiritual hope. Jesus has come to bring spiritual joy. The Messiah is here and it is time for rejoicing. Now, I don't know if they followed all that. There's, probably, there's something else that they probably didn't follow in here. And that is, in verse 15, it says that the Messiah will be taken away. If you see that. In Matthew, he will be taken away. So wait, 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 wait. 
So the disciples have all this joy. The kingdom of heaven is here. We're not supposed to fast. We're with Jesus. We're here for the party. And then you're telling me it's going to end in sorrow? You're telling me that, that I'm going to go back to fasting? It was the first hint. It's the first hint in the book of Matthew. Isaiah 53, 8. Or, yeah. Where it talks about how the Messiah will be cut off from the land of the living. And Jesus says he will be taken away. Let's do verse uh, 16. So now Jesus is going to do two analogies here. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. So both are preserved. Okay. Well... The first analogy is pretty easy to understand. So, so you got a, you got a garment and it's got a hole in it and it's all shrunk because you've washed it a bunch. And then you take a piece of cloth that isn't shrunk and you sew it in. And then when you wash it, the patch you put on isn't shrunk and it shrinks and it ruins your garment. Tears the, all the stitches you put in, tear away. So it doesn't work. And so he uses another analogy that basically says the same thing. And this one's harder for us to understand. It is about wine. So when you make wine, obviously it ferments. And so it expands because there's gases. And so they would put wine into animal skins, full animal skins. So they'd, take off, they'd sew up the neck, they'd take off the head and, and the hooves and like, of, of the animal. And they'd sew up all the ends so the wine would stay in it. And then they'd put the wine in and they'd let it ferment. And as the fermented, it the skin had enough elasticity in it to stretch. Now, that's pretty good. You get some wine. But if, if you needed to make more wine and, and you had used the animal skin or used it enough and it had dried out and it had already stretched and it was kind of brittle, and, but let's say you're like, oh, it'll work because you didn't want to spend the money for a whole new animal skin. And you put your wine in it, and you sew it up, and you let it ferment and ferment and ferment, and then the wine skin bursts open. It breaks open because it's brittle and it's old. What is Jesus trying to say here? Jesus is not going to patch the old system. Jesus is not going to use Judaism and take what he's bringing and all the newness and the joy and the wedding and the kingdom of God and he's not going to patch it onto Judaism. He's not going to take the new covenant and patch it on the old. He's not going to take the new wine in the covenant of the covenant and pour it into the old system of Judaism. 
new and joyful religion is incompatible with the traditions of the old. Of course, symbolized here by fasting. And this is part of the tension Jesus had with the religious establishment. New wine goes into new wineskins. So the Christians, after Jesus died and rose, they, 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 weren't, they were with the temple and it was a sect of Judaism for a while and then it made new structures because the new wine went into new wineskins. So Jesus is proposing new structures. The prevailing structures of Judaism don't fit. They're inadequate for the new revelation. They're inadequate for what Jesus is bringing. They're inadequate for what who Jesus is. The new situation that Jesus is introducing. And if there's a new covenant, if Jesus has come and brought a new covenant, then the old one is obsolete, says Jeremiah. In Psalm 110, it says that there's going to be a, a new priest and he's not going to be the line of Levi. He's going to be the line of Melchizedek. And that means the old line is gone. The old priest and the old systems and the old sacrifices and the tabernacle and the feasts. It is all gone. There's a new age. And Joel prophesied a new time and a new, a new place. And Joel's prophecies are being fulfilled. Jesus says to the woman at the well, hey, there's a time, there's coming a time where you won't worship in Jerusalem. You won't worship in a temple. That's coming soon. The focal point is no longer Jerusalem. Jesus is the temple. You had to go to the temple and that was the place where with a priest you could meet God. It was the intermediary between God and man. And now you go to Jesus. And he is the meeting place between God and man. So Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And, and of course, they thought he was talking about the physical temple, but he's talking about his body. But he's calling his body the temple. And it is a temple in a way that your body and my body will never be. Because in Jesus, is the place we meet God. Without Jesus, you don't meet Him. And so when Jesus came, He brought new structures. Now, one of the new structures he brought is the Lord's Supper. And we're going we're gonna to take communion here. But this is a new structure. New revelation goes in a new structure. A new form of religious expression. Jesus brought this new form. You catch it who Jesus is, he's standing here realizing, I am this person there's been centuries of prophecies about. I am this bridegroom. 
I am bringing something new. I am bringing something radical. I am not just bringing this teaching inside of Judaism. And if you had a value on the old, and if you had a value on tradition, and if you had so many values, the you would struggle with who Jesus was, just like John's disciples were struggling with it, and the Pharisees were struggling with it, and the scribes were struggling with it. And he says, this is what is true, and you can see it in the Old Testament, and it's coming forth, and it is new, and it is radical, and it is different And we cannot manufacture a false Jesus. Now let's, I want to turn to Jeremiah 31. You can turn there if you want. Read five verses here as we get ready to take communion. Verse, Jeremiah 31 verse 29, so let's flip the page. In those days, they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth will be set on edge. Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins No more. That, that's a description of the new covenant. So Jesus reaches out his hand. He says, I'll make a covenant with you. And the covenant is, I'll forgive your sins. And I'll remember your sins no more. You want to shake? You mean it doesn't depend on me? No. I'm going to declare you're forgiven. And I'm going to remember your sins no more. The new covenant. And Jesus took the wine. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. He paid for the penalty for our sins on the cross. 
And he gave his body for you. And when he took the bread, he said, this is my body given for you. And so when we take the bread and we take the cup, this is what Jesus gave us. This is the place where the, the new covenant resides spiritually. And so when we take it, there's a way in which we, we meet we meet God and we meet His truth and we walk in the form that Jesus gave us for our worship and our, our spirituality. And if we take communion without recognizing the body and the blood, without recognizing our forgiveness, from our, without, it, it, it dishonors the Word and the truth and Jesus and His sacrifice and the Father, and it's actually harmful to us. And so one of the things we like to do here is to request that, that if you're not recognizing those truths when you take communion, that, that you don't. Please don't. Um, and so um, can we have a, our communion passed out here and Mike if you want to play a little so this is how we want to walk this out um, they're going to pass some some new wine and uh, I think new wine was grape juice because it's not old wine yet so get some new wine and you'll get some some bread and you have a new covenant and we'll just have a, a some minutes of quiet for things to get passed out and then after everybody has some bread and some wine we'll have a couple minutes just for you individually to be quiet and pray and recognize and worship and then then uh, then we'll have a couple minutes where we all pray together. And if you want to pray, then you can stand up and pray out loud when that time comes. May you meet God in communion here this morning. Because as Jesus said, that He's come and it's a time of joy and what Jesus brought in his spirituality is just joy and that makes a lot of sense like in once it's you know there's a verse in Nehemiah it says that the joy of the Lord is your strength and and I I kind of think of that verse here because if Jesus has forgotten sins and Jesus has brought good and God has brought life and he has brought a new covenant today's the day of the, the lord's favor and we have unmerited grace for every single sin we're gonna we're gonna commit for the rest of our lives if if all that stuff is true like 
God is the most joyous being in the whole world. And he has joy over us, delights in us. And so our spirituality and our religion and what we do is a, it's joy. Because we're participating in, we're responding to God's joy with our own joy. And walking in that life in joy, that's, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about. The kingdom is here. He's here. And he's with us. And we have a new covenant. And grace is free. I just say it all over, over and over and over again. Say it again and let it go deeper. And say it again. And so, sorry to say it twice. Okay. The second one is that Jesus said when he left, we'd fast. So if that's what he said, then we should. Um, and so, as, as my wife is saying, there's a lot of examples of fasting all over the Bible. Obviously, Jesus fasted in Matthew 4. We'll go back there eventually in our study of Matthew. Nehemiah fasted to confess the sins. And, uh, and he was asking for God's favor when he went in front of the king because he wanted to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. David fasted for God to intervene in injustice. That's a good reason to fast. He also fasted for the life of his uh, son. He wanted miraculous healing. God didn't grant him that. Mordecai and the Jews fasted. The early church fasted when they were worshiping the Lord. And we can keep keep walking in examples. And, and so what what we want to do is is this. I I uh we we're in a season of seeking the Lord's will here at Desert's End when you're seeking God seeking for God's guidance. Uh it seems like that is a place where often people in the Bible fasted. And so uh, I'm going to fast for the four Wednesdays of October. And anyone who would like to join me can. And so just kind of saying, hey, whoever wants to, let's fast on Wednesdays. And if you can't or you're not, you can't because of health or you can't because that's the craziest day of your 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 week or whatever the the reasons are, if you can pass fast some or a little or partially, it is whatever. Um, but I but I just promised, hey, what we hit, we will try to walk in, and this is what we're going to try and walk in uh, together. So you have a couple days if you need to do a Bible study on fasting or you need to talk to somebody. The way to do the Bible study is just look up every place in the Bible where the word fast is, and it'll teach you something. Um, so those are my two quick practicals. Today is not fasting. Today is potluck. Just clear. Clear. Okay. Uh, announcements. Let's do it.